We connect. We connected. Here comes some music, and then hold on a second. We'll get started in a second. Tax the rich, feed the poor, change the world just don't know what to do and that's what alvin lee's plight was so many decades ago we still got the same general goal change the world we know how to do it a little bit more than he did back then and that's what we cover here on the old radio ranch at this two hours like we John have. well as uh, alvin lee 10 years after a band from there i used to say his late 70s but somebody corrected me says early 70s so anyway he was the guy that you know on woodstock i'm coming home dan 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 a hell of a guitar player uh anyway he's long gone probably most of his band's long gone but he had very prophetic vision and of course was able to put that into very prophetic lyrics part of the other lyrics of that song dana says everywhere are freaks and harrys dykes and fairies tell me where is sanity well i like to tell people we got a little sanity for you right here the old radio ranch okay because that's what we try and do is bring you out of the ether and back down to the ground so that everything doesn't just totally seem upside down and you make some sense of it even if you don't want to follow through with our protocol here uh that's okay you know at least maybe you've gotten a little sanity out of your exposure to this information roger sales your host here moderator teacher and god technical guy and all that other garbage so anyway and of course we're on the uh, Eurofolk radio network platform happy to be with paul eli jim ram and crew and uh, it is the first of june so we're turning a month today six one twenty two and of course this starts the back half of what promises to be an extremely memorable and eventful year uh we've got uh, a new participant at least one probably more than one really dana but we've got uh, dana with us a friend of paul and uh, uh and daniels and this is one of the guys they wanted me to uh, meet with and we tried to get together on the phone last night and we had some complications that didn't happen so dana got his microphone in and he's with us today so dana welcome tell the audience a little bit about yourself if you would and uh, you do legal work and i i'd like to think you may fill a void here for us but uh, welcome anyway and nice to meet you as they say in this part of the world where i am in south america mucho gusto okay well uh, i'll start with i just want to welcome welcome everybody else that's on here and um i don't consider myself an expert by any means no we're all uh, learning mm-hmm. no, we're all in learning and and we need to learn from everybody and we are never over somebody else i've learned that a long time ago right but, right. but with that said uh what i do uh, the legal work i am not a uh i am not an attorney <laughs> not a bar attorney. you don't you don't sound that crooked <laughs> yeah and they are extremely crooked i have never met one honest one and i haven't met one very intelligent one either to be honest with you but with that being said and done um uh what i do is i uh, i may be able to add a element into here that hasn't been there before because i can i uh i can uh create living trusts and living wills and uh declaration of trust which is a living trust when you do all that stuff and uh what i've done is i've uh i am i do not use the language they use 
I uh, I changed the language so we are lawful instead of legal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and there's over sure. a, there's a whole bunch of trusts over a hundred different kinds. I think now we've got an attorney. Mm-hmm. I've got an attorney on with me every Friday, and he's been we've been doing shows for many years seven seven mm-hmm. plus years probably. Uh, he's a very unique attorney. He's not a bar attorney, and uh, he's uh, translated his own Bible. His name's Brent Winters. You probably not heard of him. Uh, but you can access his work, Dana, at commonlawyer.com. Uh, he's written a book on the excellence of the common law, comparative text, over I think it's a thousand pages. Uh, he's one of the people that knows more about the common law in, in the country than anybody I know, you know. And so uh, yeah, I think you'll find him a, a very valuable resource. And Brent does a class on Thursdays, I think, and he's doing one now on trusts, on writing your own trust. And uh, you can. Uh, uh, you can go to his website and sign up. You got to sign up for that Thursday course under the events button. There, you can find it. And he's about, I don't know, three or four uh, out of twelve, I believe, three or four uh, weeks into that uh, write your own trust thing. So you may want to poke around on that. We can talk about it more. Uh, regardless, what I saw, hopefully, as maybe what you could fulfill here for us, and we've got a little bit of a void here because we've got people that get involved with these guys and they're already dancing with them you know and i can't help you if you're already dancing with them for the most part and so i was hoping well and i'm hoping that you you know writing process for people and having some success even uh, at an early stage of dealing with people in that setting uh in a procedural setting that maybe you could bring in and step in and fill a void that we have uh you know i've uh, recently, uh, we lost a fellow at RBN named Ralph Winterout. Are you familiar with Ralph and his work? No. Yeah, he'd been around for 20-plus years over there. He had a show on Sunday nights. He's from Alaska, and he uh, fought the IRS uh, mainly, almost exclusively, I guess. He did a lot of research on them, had Nexus, Lexus, and Westlaw, and uh, could dial up all that stuff and do all the research, and he was pretty good at it i guess but his specialty was more helping people once they get involved uh, my experience with irs particularly is once you get involved it's a very rare situation anybody walks away unscathed once you're already dancing and in their embrace you know so uh, uh anyway that's what i was kind of hoping to get to meet you and talk with you a little bit and explain to you what we do because what we do is different from what you do and uh, uh that maybe you could add a uh, availability of people that are in those unfortunate situations that maybe give them possibly a little relief so that was one thing that excited me about getting to meet you and talk with you okay mm-hmm. okay yeah so well go ahead no yeah as far as the living trust is concerned uh uh that i just did for a woman she's a, just an old woman she's got she's on oxygen and yeah you know, i mean her time is her time is limited right so what I did was I, I wrote a, a living trust for her. She's already filed it, and it's on record. Okay, good deal. So that's a success. All right. right? Okay. Yep. And now, now I have a uh, – I just prepared and sent it to her now. She'll be getting that very shortly filed. That is a, a uh, durable power of attorney health care surrogate. Okay. And what that is is because that the living will uh, identifies the uh, the one she has uh, by a power of appointment an attorney in fact. So now you have the attorney in fact in the durable power of attorney of healthcare surrogate. 
Okay. There's a little common sense here. You can't try facts. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> how did you how'd you get into this? How did you back into this stuff and helping people and all that, Dana? I, I have been helping um, uh, a woman named Candy, okay, in, uh, in Florida, because she, she was robbed of her father's estate. Very simple. All right. I've already proved everything. I proved what they've done is they are what is called officious intermeddlers. That's something to look up the definition on. Mm-hmm. All right. Because, yeah, they're intermeddling in something that is not their business. And when they do that, they become liable. Of course. Yeah. Especially attorneys become liable for that. And there's a whole bunch of them. So very shortly when this case finishes up, uh, there's going to be likely a lot of disbarred attorneys because well, of it. I hope so. Do you ever hear of a guy named, I'm trying to think of his name, Jeff, maybe you can help me out. Um, he was the guy in a wheelchair. He was a Jewish guy in Chicago that did show up. Sherlock? Anybody remember this guy's name? He's dead now, unfortunately. Um, but he was a real, real advocate, Jewish guy now, very, very big advocate against corruption, especially in the courts. And he's the one, they had an operation. You can probably look it up in a search engine called Operation Greylord. And they actually got a couple of the, whatever the circuit is up there, Seventh Circuit. They got a couple of those appellate level judges debarred and kicked off the appellate level. Okay. Uh, Sherman, Sherman Skolnick, Roger. Sherman Skolnick, thank you. Who was that? Yep. Okay. Wayne? Wayne? Yeah. Hey, Wayne, there's another guy. Dana's in your area. I guess you heard that. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, Dana, does he know Glenn Fern and some of those guys who uh, do a lot of the legal process? And uh, no, I don't know Glenn Fern either. You know, I mean, okay. I mean, I've been kind of a lone wolf McCade, you know? Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll hook you up with some folks and, you know, see uh, uh, what we do and what my specialty is here, Dana, is trying to get people and do a preemptive strike on these bastards and pull you out of their jurisdiction before you can get involved in any of that crap and those tentacles. Uh, so um, the result of what I teach is more than 100 years of three men's lives. Uh, our law teacher, who's now deceased, John W. Benson was the progenitor of all of this and uh, and was a guy that loved the law and studied the law his whole life, didn't go to law school like yourself, and uh, went back and started learning from the old books. And that's one of the reasons for my success is because what I've come to learn is that they don't teach these basics in our law schools anymore, and they haven't for a long time. Okay, And I've got proof that they were controlling back in the 1930s when we had the bankruptcy in 33. They were already controlling the American Association of Colleges and Law Schools to the point where they could move their annual convention to Chicago on New Year's Eve so that a little Jew bastard named Jerome Frank from the Department of Agriculture could come in and give a speech called Experimental Jurisprudence in the New Deal where they laid everything out. Now, I found that in a Lewis T. McFadden speech and went back and researched it. So if they had the power to move an annual convention to New Year's Eve to Chicago, okay, and so this guy could <laughs> give it. Yeah, you know, well, it sure does, of course. And, of course, <laughs> their, their little creed that they got to tell you what they're doing to you, and this fits that. Of but anyway, course. it shows you that they were controlling that 
part of that organization almost 100 years ago so you can pretty well bet that they were already controlling the curriculum that was dictated to all those colleges and law schools and they gradually phased out well, common law you had erie railroad versus tompkins the my teachers told us dana that the battle we fight is the battle that's been fought since the beginning of time, which is Lex Rex versus the common law. And that's the battle we're fighting today. That's the battle they fought in the, in the Civil War, okay, when they were trying to federalize everything and bring in the United States Code. All these things fit together. And uh, John was able to teach me some incredible, incredible stuff that I, I was brand new to all this at the time. I had no idea how useful it was going to be. But he was an extremely good teacher. I was very interested, and I was a real good student. Um, they were only teaching six months, okay, before the IRS raided them. Here's the story. Um, John has been studying this stuff his whole life. He got particularly, he got a civil service job, I believe, with the Air Force and contract stuff and then he became particularly interested in contract law and then he became particularly interested in tax law on top of that and that's where all of this has grown out of he was at had a friend who's an airline pilot with united now lives down in panama and uh uh so roy could get him plane tickets you know guest tickets and stuff so he got him a ticket to a traffic seminar down in bullhead city arizona and that's where he crossed paths with my other teacher glenn ambort who's an exceptional individual and glenn's still alive okay and uh so those two got together and if they wouldn't have i imagine when john passed all of this research and stuff and the things he'd written had been in his closet and gotten thrown out in the trash really because he just wasn't much of a marketer or promoter you know and so that's what glenn uh the 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 things he fulfilled and and so what they found is john you may if you've done any irs stuff you've probably heard of this john came up with a thing they call um oh uh, i can't ever think of the technical name of it anyway found in the code in their 26 cfr where if you've been misfiling uh i'll think of it in a second it was something of election um and um, if you've been misfiling in the wrong status, you could change your status and, and file three years of, of back returns, and they'd send you all the money you'd paid in back, okay, by their codes now, all right, by their regs. And so they, Glenn says, we can make a business out of this. So what they did was they started teaching this stuff around the country, and um, they had a weekend seminar, and you'd go to a Friday night presentation, which would give you the overview, and they'd have a whole Saturday all day to late into the night, and then Sunday also late into the evening, and you had to pay 1500 bucks for that. And then they would get a percentage. I don't remember the percentage of whatever you got back. Well, because it was per IRS regulations at the early stages when people would submit their NRs because you'd file, what you'd do is we'd take our affidavit and file it with the IRS, and then we'd go back, and the return that you file as you change statuses is called an NR a 1040 non-resident alien in our return and so the first people that would send those in got these big checks back okay and so they're waving them around you can imagine how much that stimulates and motivates people and and of course and then the irs realized what was going on 
and they stopped that. And by the time I got involved with them, which wasn't too long after they started, uh, I got instead of three years back, which I wouldn't, hell, I never made much money back then. I wouldn't pay any taxes, you know. As I like to tell people, I never had a tax problem until I met these guys. All right. And so uh, uh, anyway, um, they sent me back three $500 frivolous filing penalties, and that's what they started returning to everybody that filed an NR. So don't file an NR. Even Paris and Weiss down there, that law firm, will, will tell you about this. They'll say, we won't help you do it. Okay. And because uh, now it's a $5,000 frivolous filing penalty. So uh, anyway, that was uh, what happened. Now, at the early part, this is interesting. I, I haven't told this part in a while. And the early part is they were getting together, John and Glenn, very open people, Mormon guys, you know. And uh, so they took and they had gone back and John had printed up a whole bunch of old English law books, uh, Pollock and Maitland, Cook, Shepherd's Touchstone, and a whole bunch of these classic law, uh, these English jurists, you know, we could buy those really high quality uh, reprints. And uh, so they sent a letter to the IRS and the Philadelphia Service Center handles all non-resident alien returns. And so they sent it to the Philadelphia Service Center. They sent a package, and they had a workbook they'd put together and this stuff. And they said, well, look, we wanted to tell you that we're going to be going around the country and teaching this stuff. And and, uh, if any of your agents would like to come to the seminars, if they'll show us their ID, we'll be more than happy to let them in for free and give them free class materials. And the IRS wrote them back and said, well, thank you very much. We're gonna, we're going to turn this over to the education department, and boy did they! Because a couple of weeks later, they got hit all three offices with CID and uh, agents breaking in the door and holding them at gunpoint on the floor for eight hours and all that kind of all that kind of fun stuff. Well, that was the education department, and they certainly got an education, and so did we. But we all knew at that point that the federal government this is in 1992 dana okay Mm -hmm. i mean you may have been a puppy back then okay so (laughs) anyway at that point it was like well we don't i don't know too much about this and this law stuff is real confusing because it when you get hit with this for the first time and you're not oriented towards it it's very confusing you know and uh so anyway but we did know that the federal government didn't react that quick to anything Okay, and so that effectively kind of sidetracked their organization, and um, there were twelve hundred people that went through that class in six months, and I was the only one that took it further. And here we are, and we got the answers, which is why they came down on them so heavy at start. Now, when I understand why, see, I knew there was something there from the start, and I knew even in when I didn't understand that there was something very pivotally important about the term they use at twenty six CFR one. 1.1-1a which is the irs regulatory rule book there and on the first uh first page of all of them actually all 50 are the jurisdictional statement but on that one particularly is different because they have both statuses in the irs one all the other 49 of the 50 of the code of federal regulations their jurisdictional statements only for residents but in only title 26 do you have both residents and the slaves the slave system and the free system and here i'll read you this and show you how these creeps work and it says an income tax is uh, is uh, owed by all individuals levied however it says it uh, i think it says owed by all individuals who are citizens of the united states or residents 
and to the and to the extent of 871b and 877b all non-resident alien individuals so if you go back and look at the concepts of this and realize there's only two statuses you're either free or you're a slave well now we know that the citizen of the united states residents the slave category the other one's got to be the free category but here they label it a non-resident alien now that was what caught my attention in this all these years ago was the length and trouble they'd gone to to assign that phrase right there okay and what they're saying is because you automatically think jose the tomato picker you know coming in down south of you guys there in the dfw area and it's not of course it is the other natural status the state citizen now labeled a non-resident alien and the way they're couching that if you will is you're non-resident to the residency of the 14th amendment and because you're a state citizen and you have no interaction with the federal government your status is alien from the federal status and so that's what kept me going for all those years in the early parts and uh you know it's been a long story i've been on this path a long time and uh and it was in 2007 when i finally definitively found the answer and the reason that it took me that long i knew what it gone on but i couldn't nail it down because of what i just told you and that is that they go and take the big picture concepts here and they relabel them different things and so i can show you four or five different labels in the code and in the code of federal regulations on this one status and that's why i could never nail it down and it was when i I, i'd made a decision to leave the country and move to argentina had to get a passport never had one before and uh, had to reluctantly go to the post office pick up both applications an 11 and an 82 and when i put my feet up on the desk and started reading that ds11 at the top of the first page was the answer i'd been looking for for 15 years and here we are okay so that's the short story of it yes sir yeah okay i have a question since there's been there's no gold no uh, lawful money that is gold you can't really have redemption in gold upon demand since 1934 and uh, since 1966 there's no redemption for silver so there's no lawful money so what are they taxing it's legal money it's not lawful (laughs) okay well there well thanks to ron paul we do have lawful money because he's the one that single-handedly walked through that bill where we can now buy gold and silver uh you couldn't until he Mm -hmm. did that in the 80s okay but i didn't know uh, he was behind that oh yeah he's the one that single-handedly walked that through congress Okay. Good for him. Um, so, uh, but what you have to understand is you hit on a really important point right there, and it's very, very illustrative if you understand some good basics. And let's go back to the word property, okay? Now, uh, the, what they're doing with us, Dana, here is they're working on twin levels. They're working on a high-level conceptual level, and then they're working on a colloquial level. I should say we're working on a colloquial level. They're laughing at us. Okay? And and we've got these two different definitions that are being applied on the same word in, in the same circumstance, and we don't understand it because we're identifying with the colloquial meaning and definition. Now, the one I'm going to use as an example here with you is the word property. Okay? So mm-hmm. if I say hey, Dana, you know, you had to take your wife to work last night, I think. So that car you took her to work in is paid for, obviously. That's your property, right? 
Well, you, that's not mine. I, I'm just uh, that well, actually. Well, that's I, not. I, I don't. Don't. That's not where I'm going. That's not where I'm going. Yep. Hold on. Okay. Okay. okay I got so it. I got you'd it. say yes. That's my property. Okay. And technically, everybody listening here would understand that. All right. But in legal terms, property is a right, not a thing. Property is a right in and to the thing. So your property right to the car is your right to drive it, use it, wreck it, sell it, park it, do whatever you want to do with it. Okay, But the car legally is a thing, and your property is the right in and to the thing. So that's just an example of these twin levels that we're using mm-hmm. here. Okay, And they do it with a whole bunch of these different things. So let's go back to the bankruptcy of 1933 with that little insight into the word property and look at what happened. Okay, that you just alluded to, no lawful money. Well, there was before March the 9th of 1933, we used gold and silver because we were free people. We had constitutional protections and God-given rights. Therefore, we could buy things and have a property right in them and pay for them and pay the bill with real money. After March the 9th of 33, if you'll go read the bank holiday of 1933 in Blacks, it'll tell you that the banks closed and they opened up under regulations from the Secretary of the Treasury. But we opened up with the new fiat money. Because they changed the system and we were now object of their property rights, so therefore we can't own anything, we can only control it, and we can't pay debts, we can only discharge them, and the way you discharge debts is with other debt. That's why we're using the paper money. It's because we're in servitude, and that's the evidence is exactly what happened in that bankruptcy. Okay, Just looking at it from a different angle of this word property, which most people don't understand there's a twin meaning meaning of. Okay, uh, Here's another example. Go to, uh, you don't even have to go to a law library here, Dana. You can go straight to Webster's Collegiate Dictionary and go look at the word resident. Okay. And it's going to give you several definitions there. And the first one is the act or fact of living or dwelling in a place for some time. That's the geographic one. That's the one we bite on. Okay. The second one is the act or fact of living or dwelling in a place for some time for the receipt of a benefit and the discharge of a duty. That's the legal definition. And you bite on the geographical one saying, oh, yeah, I live right over there. And they're zapping you with this one underneath. Oh, you're under our system of federal law, huh? That's what's going on. (laughs) Okay. So what we do is go in and I just put the information in front of people. I've never asked anybody or told anybody to do this. It's your choice. It's not my direction to tell you what system of law you're going to live under. That's your choice. Because you're the one that's got to live under it and pay any kind of uh, price there is to pay there. If there is one to pay, you're the one that's got to be apprised of it and aware of it and be able to defend your position. Okay, but it's your choice, not theirs. If it's their choice as to what you are, it's tyranny. And that's why they've gone to all this trouble over all these years to turn everything around so they can ask you those two magic questions. Are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a resident? Which we don't understand that they're asking us. And we answer yes to both of them. And then we sign something. And what we're doing there when you do that, that doesn't create the contract. That gives them consent. 
the first question, are you a citizen of the United States, and you answer yes, you're saying, okay, well, it's all right with me. I know you frauded me at birth and assigned this political status that's wrong and all that, but it's okay. Okay, And then they ask you, are you a resident? And they're saying, well, now that you're in this condition, you've agreed with the fraud, Can do you give us your consent to, to govern you? And you go, yeah, not knowing what they're asking you to sign something. So all their power is derived from this scheme and this scam that they're putting on us. And what technically is going on here is they took that one element of this, assigning a political status at birth, the only system of law where that's ever been operable is a feudal system. And it was a real key element of the feudal system because it helped to perpetuate labor on the manor where they didn't have to constantly go out and get new slaves. Okay, And so part of that is the assigning a political status where you're born, not who your parents are, like anchor babies. Okay, And the other is because you're grandparents or whoever were put into this system in march the 9th of 33 and because it's the feudal system that is a silent contract that runs generationally so even if it was your great great grandfather that volunteered into servitude in the feudal system and everything had been pretty good for a couple of generations if you wanted to leave all you had to do was go volunteer out and you're out of the system and that's what we're utilizing and the reason i've had all this success is because john w benson was my law teacher and i know it's the feudal system nobody else does okay nobody else understands what these guys have done and how they've done it and that's why you got so much confusion in our particular community of people trying to fight this thing because they don't know what they're fighting David Strait, Anavon Wrights, all these other people that don't know they're fighting the feudal system are doing nothing but playing Don Quixote, and they're going to joust at windmills. That's why they do everything with so much confusion, because they can't be a, they can't give them a surgical strike because they don't know the system they're dealing with, and they don't know the weaknesses of it. That's the whole thing right there. And in a nutshell, that's uh, I've already comprehended that a long while back that that we are under a feudal system. Good for that you. I know. Well, you're one of the few then. Well, you, you shouldn't have any problem with what I teach and just fill in the blanks. Then if you understand that and you know a little bit about it, you're way far ahead of the game. And that's the reason for my success in all honesty. That's what I'm glad I'm with. Uh, I'm around a bunch of people now that are, are willing, to, some that already know this, and others that are willing to learn. That is so important. Yep. If we're not willing to learn, we can't get anywhere. Yeah, well, we're, I've, been, I've been out beating this horse for a long time now, you know, 30 <laughs> years in one way, shape, form, or another, not understanding it most of the time, and more or less attacking it from the tax perspective. And then after I fought the IRS in federal court and got beat up real bad, uh, I I, I withdrew, you know, a little bit and licked my wounds and said, hell, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that's when I started investigating the jurisdictional nexus. How are they able to do this? And, and of course, here we are all these years later. Um, and there's been a couple of things that have held this project back from, I think, the success we're seeing now. One is the big guy. Okay, because obviously the big guy's timing and my timing aren't on the same 
level. He once said somewhere down the line, I'd like it now. Okay. And so anyway, that's been a problem. And so I, I, I had a little talk with him and I said, listen, I'm going to go ahead and do what I know I got to do, but you're going to have to open the door when it's time. And you see, I think that happened, uh, about a year and a half ago when Mr. Trump and the election and all that stuff. See, everybody in the world got their ox gourd at the same time on the same day. And now people are asking questions where before you, you couldn't get them to ask questions. They thought everything was all right and, you know, they're complacent and life wasn't too bad and they were making it. Well, now their ox is gourd and they're looking for answers. And the other part of that is that now I understand this well, as well as I ever have. And, and there's a lot of things I didn't understand how this was set up and how it operated. And therefore, I couldn't communicate it very as well. It, you know, it's still hard for me to get it across to people. And I think we've overcome both of those obstacles. I understand what's going on. I can explain it real easy to people now within just a couple of minutes, really. And uh, then um, and, and the people are looking for answers. We've got a big pool of people. And that's why we got so many people on the board here and we're having and she, we've had a, a, over 80 people on this Jitsi board a couple of days here recently. So, uh, you know, get more people coming to the party. I think this morning was the first morning in over a month that I've opened up my email and I didn't have requests for information. And I was on a Sarah Westall interviewed me about a month or so ago, Dana, and Man, it just opened the floodgates. A lot of these people that are with us today and listening, even the on Euro folk, are here because of that. So I just want to give you some background and welcome and, and uh, uh, you know, meet you and all that stuff. Okay, sounds good. All right. Let me see if there's anybody else, since I've kind of monopolized the thing here. Anybody got any questions? Any of you new folks are on here and like to say hello or come forward or any of that stuff? We'd love to meet you. Roger, it's uh, it's Jason that's been emailing you. Hello, Jason. Hi, hi. I finally finally oh, finally you, found the time. Okay, it's time to get on. Okay, good. We're glad to have you. Now you sound English, Jason. Yes. Are yes, you? I'm uh, originally from the UK, Roger. And are you still living there? Or are you living in the US, Jason? Uh, so I'm I'm living in the U.S. and I just got my what what I believe is my national passport. Yes, yesterday. sir. Okay, good for you. Congratulations! Yeah, you wrote me an email about that. Now you were asking about something about endorsements on page twenty-seven, right? Correct. Okay, what kind of endorsements are you looking for? Uh, Jason's now a U.S. national. Is that what you're looking for? No, actually. Uh, okay, so. I somebody had sent me a link saying that you know that there should be this endorsement of like zip code zero nine. No, 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 Well, you see, here's the people in our movement that are passing around the information. They don't know what they're talking about. Okay, what you're going to want to look for is if you you may have an O nine, you may not. All right, but you're going to want to look for it on a passport card and not in a passport book. Okay, and it's going to be in uh, a okay. numerical sequence that is printed on the edge of those cards. Now, I've never even had a passport card, but uh, people sent me pictures and whatnot, and that correlates to that internal list from the State Department. And, Jason, we've had people listed with 09, although if you look at the description on that descriptive sheet from the State Department – 
it says national and then underneath it in the same field it says non-citizen national okay and those aren't the same all right and then it might say it might have one of our guys came on here one day so well mine says 77 well 77 is an ambassador at large uh, I had another guy that had somebody with the top security clearance check his profile, and he said, well, they got you listed as a diplomatic courier. And I don't know what number that is, but it's one of them. So they obviously are putting right. this uh, in different categories. And as I try and explain to people, they've gone to great lengths to hide this. I mean, anybody that's approaching this and learning about it can see that real easily. They're not going to put in the back profile the things we can't see that the bureaucrats see. They're not going to have a box there where they can check and say, well, Jason found out what they were doing to him. He's caught us. He's a state citizen. They're, they're just not going to do that. They're going to try and hide it because they don't have that kind of out front. They don't want the bureaucrats uh, knowing about it either you know so anyway uh that's what's going on to the best of my knowledge jason but congratulations and you know in all these years and everybody's always skeptical that they're going to get their affidavit that they put with their passport application in their administrative file i've just never hardly found an incident of that happening you know um so anyway if you're skeptical about it you can always FOIA them and foia freedom of information act request you can go and do a little research on it and as we talked to mike yesterday you got to be specific in your request you can't just say hey send me everything in the administrative file you got to be specific as to what you're asking for but they will eventually get that back to you and i would just about guarantee you whatever you included in your passport applications in that file Okay, so that's just my take on it, Jason. But the endorsement that okay. they do have in passport books with nationals, or I should say more specifically non-citizen nationals, the American Samoan folks and Swains Island, is when you got that passport book back on the very first page of the visa section, there'd be a big stamp that says this person's not a citizen of the United States. And you don't have that in yours. So I'd say you're cool, Jason. Congratulations. Well, hey, thanks, Roger. That's, uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I mean, I followed your process, to, to my knowledge, to a T. So thanks. Well, I, you know, in 11 years, I've never seen them uh, legitimately uh, reject anybody. Nobody's ever had the cops come back. What you doing filing this paper? Knocking at their door, none of that stuff. They've always done just what... We ask them to do, and life just continues on, except now they do what you want them to do, and you got a new status, and they can't say boo about it. So welcome to the club of free folks here, Jason. You you know, you probably could have done this in England. Are you familiar with John Smith? Have you heard us talk about John Smith? No, no, I, no, no I, I'm, not, I'm not, Roger, no. But I, I've got some U.K. friends that kind of, want to do this all right well this is what they need to know right here they need to research this guy john smith is his name uh i believe his website is commonlawcourt.com and what john has devised he's he's got a very heavy heavy scottish brogue and is almost difficult to understand now this is paul my english buddies telling me this that had a conversation with him and when an englishman can't understand him i know darn well i'm gonna have problems okay anyway this is john smith and uh he also did an interview jason with david ike 
that you can probably go search up and listen to okay and so what the way he's approaching this is he's come up with a common law birth certificate and my feeling on it is what the successes that he's had with this are basically because even the birth certificate is not the nexus of it what we're dealing with is a presumption of law you know they go and pull something fraudulently and then they go well this is an event and this happened and then they come and they use a presumption of law on top of the fraud that institutes their scheme so what the affidavit does is it exposes the fraud and it rebuts the presumption of law and that's what i believe is happening over there in the successes john smith has had with his common law birth certificate he's presenting it and it rebuts it opens up the fraud and it rebuts the fact that that birth certificate's being used as a warehouse receipt okay and that's why they recognize it now uh what he told paul was that he had a lady uh, uh initially that was having her house foreclosed on and they went in the actual courtroom setting went into the courtroom he presented the uh she did the common law birth certificate and the judge got up said i have no jurisdiction over this proceeding and walked out of the courtroom now that's coming straight from paul and straight from him okay uh he's had a couple of other successes with it and uh and actually this is a guy never even had a parking ticket and a while back they came and threw him in jail for the weekend which tells you he's probably right over the target okay so have them look into that and if they have any success please let us know you know we've been talking about it here on the show for a couple of years jason and one of my good students who didn't able to join us because his work schedules changed a bit gary down in florida he sends me a document one day you know there's six different political statuses in england interesting it had all of them it was was an official crown document and it had all the statuses listed at the bottom of the paper and one of them jason is an english national and i'd be willing to bet you everything i own that that's what you're looking for over there and it works in canada australia new zealand and all the commonwealth countries and john smith says it works in every country of the world okay now i don't i don't ver i can't verify that i'm telling you what i've heard secondhand about this guy and i think there may certainly something there worth investigating but what i would suggest your people do if they want to try and submit it to somebody is find out who in whatever country's government you're dealing with has authority to issue passports because i believe that's where the nucleus and the, the nexus is going to be okay you present it to him in some kind of a fashion. Roger. Yes. This is yeah, Jedediah. I have a yeah, question for you. Okay, hold on, Jedediah. Let's get finished with Jason. I'll get right to you. So, Jason, okay. does, that get you, does that get you taken care of? Jason? Does that, does that get you taken care of, Jason? Yes, it did. Yes, Roger. Thanks. Okay, you're very welcome. Jedediah, how you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. Um, thank you for entertaining my question. I have. Well, I want to explore the feudal system okay. a minute, um, and then that will lead me up to a question. Do you have any idea, and I haven't read your book, but I've heard all the different explanations on the different interviews, but how does one manner 
affect the other. And I'll give you an example. So my mom was not born in the United States of America. Her parents, one was from America, the other was from Australia. She qualifies right South there. America, she, matter. They met in South America on the mission field. Doesn't make any and difference. so they got married down there, and she was born in South America. Makes no difference. So, one of your parents was American. She qualifies right there. Right. Well, I was just wondering how... Um, how that works when you have like for instance marriages across the feudal system you know like one was from australia so the other one was from i have no idea i mean you know usually i guess they stayed on the manor i uh, i'm not sure about all of the there's a thousand years of legal precedent there jedediah so i i I don't know all the intricacies or if anybody married from an adjacent manor you know i just don't know you're going to have to okay. go do your own research on that one. But you're, what you're posing there as a situation has no difference on your mother's status. Because one of the parents was American, that qualifies you as a citizen of the United States. And if you're qualified as a citizen, uh-oh, I just got knocked off. Do you all hear me? What is going on here? All right, hold on. Okay. Okay, can y'all hear me again? Can y'all hear me now? Even the chat's all done. Can you hear me I, now? I I, I I lost the I lost I didn't hear anything. Can I, you I, hear me I now? Can anybody hear meeting. me now? Yes, yes, we can hear you. Okay. All, all right. All right. It went down, it's back up. We had a snafu, it's a jitsy fault. What I was talking about with Jedediah was a situation where he set it up with one of his parents who were American, his mother's parents, and the other wasn't. And they met in a South America down here. They got married, they had the child the your mother is still a citizen of the united states because one of the parents was american okay i didn't know if it was like so the other one was from australia Doesn't make any difference where they're from more on the the father's side the mother's side Doesn't make or, any difference Doesn't make any difference they didn't renounce their american citizenship Doesn't make any difference i just know that my when my mom had to do passport stuff there was extra legal stuff that she yeah. had to do to actually say that she was and she doesn't know and we all that's locked up and we can't find out what that is which would lead me the next question of it's when we have to say whether she is a citizen yes 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 because i would assume yes but then she had to actually change something in the paperwork or something when she came here when i think both times when she was either four or because she then she came up and lived with an aunt yeah, or then when she was filling out a passport she had to fill out extra questions or of something course, that they wanted course. information well see for. here i just i've got a very good friend who's an american in argentina he's married to an argentinian gal they just had their first child a year ago in june actually and uh, he had his first child of a boy his first son on father's day how about that okay and so what tito had to do was go down and register that birth because it was in argentina with the embassy and that may have been what your 
mother's parents weren't able to do way back then. Either they weren't close to an embassy, uh, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. They probably didn't register her there, which would make and facilitate when they come back to the U.S. She's already in the system and it's already there, as opposed to having to go, this is the situation and get in the system. And that may have been, I'm just speculating, on what your mother had to face, okay? Yeah, I was going back to like your experience uh, you know your story of the the man in um, Texas, the going to the hospital, and that well, she wasn't in any hospital of any computers back then, so right. how that would even have gotten registered? Right. Yeah, so so that's probably why she had to go through those extra steps is because back then, the, you know, you just don't know what happened, but. Right. There's a way to facilitate it being easy, and there's a way where you got to verify the stuff. And it sounds like your mom had to go through the second one to me. Right. So I guess the final the final answer is she's in there anyways as a U.S. citizen. So that will, will be what I will put on any, the passport application. Any, stuff. She's got a passport. She's been living in the States, I assume. Anytime that one of your parents was an American, the child always qualifies for American citizenship. Always. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Is that all? Well, that was that was pretty much it. I was just thinking, you know, um, how all that worked. And you're right. They probably never had that a thousand years ago because they didn't have airplanes and travel to where people were going from one manor to the other. They probably didn't let people off the manor either. They probably had rivals. You know, honestly, knowing the way man is, you probably had rivals with the uh, adjacent manor. I'm sure they had friendly situations, too. But uh, you just don't know. Uh, you know, but that what your well, your situation you posed had nothing to do with the feudal system. This is all just regular law that any of your one parent qualifies the child as for a citizen. They ha- it has to, okay, it has to. So, who else has got a question or a comment you'd like to bring forward? We'd love to hear from you. Um, Victoria. Uh-huh. Are you there? Just uh, unmute yourself, Victoria, and start talking. Have we got a Victoria that wants to talk on here? Because we'd love to talk to her. It's a lovely name. Hello, Victoria. Hi, Roger. Have we got a baby cooing in the background there or something? Um. So I had a question going back to the 1099. You are muted. To the 1099 NR. And um, I was wondering if there were circumstances presently in which you felt that that could be used. I've been doing a little research, and I thought. Well, let's put it this way: Yeah, there were, there is a situation where I would think the 1040NR would be used, and that's if you have any 871 or 877B taxes. And what would those be qualified as? One would be qualified as if you truly expatriate the country. which I don't think will ever be applicable because, and I'll give you the reason here in a second. Let's cover the other one, and I'll come back to it. The other one is a tax on corporate bonds, such as Union Pacific Railroad bonds, where the corporation was given its life by the federal government. Okay? And and those are the two sections. Now, if you don't own that, by the way, is evidenced by the very first case that was a they're called landmark decisions or first impression cases on an on a subject when the when the court rules on it for the first time and this was dealing with the 16th amendment supposedly the taxing amendment which was fraudulently ratified we've proven it but 
the very first Supreme Court case off of that was a case called Brushhaber versus Union Pacific Railroad. Have you ever heard of that case, Victoria? I have not. Okay, well, the Union Pacific Railroad, it was a, the case was over uh, uh, income on Union Pacific Railroad bonds. Okay, that's why it's styled that way. And the case brought up in court, at the Supreme Court, actually, his attorney brought up that he was a non resident alien. But the court never ruled on that in the decision. However, every time a Supreme Court decision is made on a tax issue, the Treasury Department writes internally what's called a Treasury decision. They're referred to as TDs, okay? And the Treasury decision that was written off of Brushhaber was signed by the Treasury Secretary, not the Secretary of the Treasury, the Treasury Secretary named McAdoo, because I went and looked at it myself personally in the Emory Law Library, okay? And at the very first sentence, it says, Frank Brushhaber, a citizen of the state of New York, state citizen, and a non-resident alien. So there's your proof of how they're using that term from an official government treasury document and a Supreme Court case, okay? So now the other one, the expatriation one, that's if you want, if you're, if you achieve national status and you want to go trade your new free status for some other country's slave status, you would technically be expatriating. See, when you move from a citizen of the United States to a national, you're not expatriating. You're changing statuses in the same system. You're repatriating. Okay? But if you expatriate, say you wanted to trade it for whatever reason uh, for an English passport, okay, then there may be some taxes involved in that. But now this is what I would ask you. There's only been two times in the history of the planet, Victoria, where men had God-given rights in a society. The first 200 years of Rome and the first 200 years of our country. Then they've taken this away from us and hidden it. Now that we've rediscovered it and you can reaccess it, why in the hell would you ever give that up? Right. Um, I just, I was, is it possible for me to email you with, um, some additional questions that I would feel more comfortable asking. Um, you know, it, it's this is sticky wicket for me because it, it takes a lot of my time to get into some of these really involved answers for some of you folks. You think it's a very simple question, and the answer is never simple. Okay, so this is my. If you want to ask it on the air, I'll answer it here for you. But I do that so everybody learns. Okay, because right. this is an education okay. thing. If you are sensitive about it, I, I do do private consultations. We'll need to set that up, and I charge you $150 an hour, and I don't, I'm not real sticky on the time, you know? Okay. All right? Thanks. So if you want to eat, take advantage of that, you email me, and we'll set something up, okay? Okay, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Where are you, uh, before you run off, Victoria, where are you? Oh, I'm in California. Uh, we've, we've spoken before. You were okay. very kind connect me with daryl and with jimmy and um oh okay i think i remember yeah okay yeah um i'm a friend of natasha you were looking about moving yes that's me okay have you made any progress on that um 
Well, I've got a little bit more packed. I thought I was making some progress, and then no. <laughs> two step, two steps forward, and one step back. Yeah, right? it's very frustrating. Yeah, but um, I know. Boy, yeah. you ought to try to move out of the country. It's even worse. Okay, uh, it really is. It's a it's a pretty big ordeal. Oh, fine. I'll be I'll be back next month. Right, a year later. Well, I finally got finished with all that crap. No, it's it's quite an ordeal. Uh, so yeah. nice to have you, Victoria. You contact me if you if you'd like okay. to move forward. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, okay, who's next? Roger. Re- revocation of election. Revocation of elections. What I was thinking of. Thank you. That's what it was. Okay. And all all that. See, that's all John's work. You know. And here, all these years later, I run into all these people. And I start explaining this, and they go, "Oh, that's a revocation of election." And so, uh, and they have no idea where that came from. But it's funny to see it go full circle. Roger. Yes, Paul. Yeah. Okay. You can hear me now. All right. Yeah. Uh, when I came, when I came, when I came back, when the board hiccuped before, I, I was, I was unmutable. You were shut, uh, shut out. Okay, we're glad yeah, you're back. I was, I was, I was shut up for sure. Okay. Now you, you had a good point. Um, you always have good points, but one that particularly struck me was you were talking about expatriation and what some of these uh, these uh, official process people that are out there, I don't know if Anna does it, but I know that uh, uh, Straight does it, uh, they specifically reference expatriation as part of their process. And all that does is that expatriates you from the country, from either status, you become a man without a country, a fish out of no, water. No, no, no. And at that point, you don't have a nation. They won't let you do that. They will not let you. Because if you're going to expatriate, you've got to go through a real specific procedure through the embassy. First mm-hmm. of all, you've got to go acquire another country's passport first. They won't let you give up your U.S. passport without having another country's passport first. Well, that would be a good thing because okay. if 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 you could expatriate without repatriating to, you'd be a country, man without a country. You know, you, yeah, you could. You could go. You see if you could survive on the Guano Islands. <laughs> Maybe you can uh, build yourself a raft and float around on one of the issues. Or <laughs> Who knows? The, uh, uh, well, I got a great story for you on this. Okay. All right. Um, when I was flying down on my visit trip to Argentina, I'd never flown anywhere internationally before. And my buddy was a seasoned traveler. He had wanderlust. And so he was always going all over the place. He was a really interesting fellow. He's the one that actually, unfortunately, was killed in the automobile accident. He's a dear friend of mine. Um, Riggins, his name was Jim Riggins. He used to work for the Beatles uh, directly with Apple Records. And uh, uh, he's a very colorful guy. And he had gotten into raising greyhounds at one point in his life. He had over 100 greyhounds behind his house. <laughs> and, wow. and he had them all over the world racing them, man. He had them in Ireland. He had them in Australia. He had them down in Florida and all these places. You know, he's a very interesting fella. And uh, so, anyway, Riggins is a very seasoned traveler. And whenever you're flying out, we, uh, we flew out to Argentina from uh, Miami. And so, anytime you got one of those departing flights, you'll you know it's always at the last gate of a long terminal 
okay so there's no different here and he'd already been down there and he had express check-in and all that stuff so he was already checked in he was sitting there talking to a a a couple and i went through the you know the i've never done this before and i finally got through and i get over there and sit down with them and he goes well roger this is so and so and so and so they work at the embassy in jamaica oh well nice to meet you you know and right then they started the the uh, boarding call and these all you know here's two embassy people obviously they got all their stuff together and riggins is this international traveler so they get called real early and i gotta sit there and wait to get called so anyway uh we go through that process and we get uh, on the plane and stuff and it's a long flight argentina's like nine hours and uh always overnight almost i guess exclusively and so in the morning when people wake up there after that long flight you know what's the first thing you want to do well, first thing you want to do is go to the bathroom, right? And so it's on one of the big planes because it's a long flight carrying a lot of people. And they got several stations of bathrooms in there, you know. And so I get in line for the bathroom. And lo and behold, who's right next to me but this guy from the embassy in Jamaica. <laughs> and so i start talking this was the very first year that that really spiked when people were expatriating because irs stuff it was in 2007 okay and so they'd been in the news and so i'm sitting there talking to him i said well you know there's a lot of people that are expatriating and the guy goes that's what my job is at the embassy how about that Dan? you talk about the lord at work here right and so and so i go really did you know that we have two different types of citizenship in the country this guy's eyes got as big as eggs in the bottom of a slop bucket okay and i'm he goes i uh uh, I, i don't know anything about that you'd have to ask all those legal guys up in washington and he was just about to get to the bathroom after standing in line and he literally left that line and bolted up the aisle like a scalded ass gazelle and i never saw him again wow <laughs> okay uh, so he knew okay yeah he knew this story so anyway that was my expatriation story it's kind of one of those little funny things that happened along the way i'm not kidding you man that guy started stammering and stumbling you, you, you'd have to ask the legal guys up in in, in dc bum bum see you later bam well i'm gone yeah he knew the score and he wasn't going to risk somebody over here and thinking that you were the one that he or he was the one you got it from what you saw right there what in that illustrated in that story is guilt exactly okay you saw guilt on on display and him getting his butt up and going up the aisle and finding another bathroom somewhere where he didn't have to confront somebody that knows what's going on. Or at that point, I, I did kind of know. You know, I didn't know at all. I mean, when the book was written, I didn't even know about American Samoans back then. You know, I thought non-citizen national was us, just like everybody else that stumbles into this. And you just didn't. Fortunately, we had the goods on them, and they couldn't come back and nail you for being wrong because we had the general goods on them. We just didn't have the specifics. Right. Um, if if I could ask, um, if if someone's connected to Jitsi and they're or they're called in and they're not planning on talking, 
please mute because there's a lot of background noise that, that doesn't sound too bad right now on. i don't i'm not getting any now but it does come and go and it, you know people calling in for the first time it's on a cell phone it's a new <laughs> app they, they kind of hide it you got to know how to access it and or you look at some of these cell phones and the so sensitive they toggle on you when your eyes light on them you know that sort of thing yeah so right. anyway uh well when a, when a microphone is open and you're not talking every time your computer your phone gets a notification or anything uh, like that ding, it goes ding. out over it the goes show, out so. well we try and instruct people to you know keep that mute on it helps fidelity at least they're not got the video on you know, we used to get a bunch of people the video on, which is all right. It just cuts down on bandwidth, and we're sticklers on fidelity here. That's why we don't have commercials. I want you to be able to concentrate and follow what we're talking about in these things that are, I mean, you got to admit a lot of this stuff is extremely complex, okay? It's simple once you understand it, but the first time you're presented with it until you get to that point of understanding, it's complex, okay? Yes. New to people too you don't know but you know about the only stuff we know about law usually is what we saw in perry mason you know objection your honor sustained <laughs> yeah as if that okay as if that was law. overruled hello there's one of those notifications sure. hello is that murka this is judy in florida judy in florida you hi georgia georgia, georgia. oh from warner robbins you're back again <laughs> yes sir okay um I was wondering what I'm not familiar with the FOIA. So what reason would a person with a national status have for requesting a FOIA? What Just what a, are you looking for? Well, a FOIA is called a Freedom of Information Act, okay? It came out of legislation that was passed a number of different key things that are still thorns in these people's sides that came out after Watergate. Okay? And this is in the transparency of government, kind of, we're going to open government back up. And that's where a Freedom of Information Act request came from. So every agency has a FOIA officer. And anybody in the public can utilize this mechanism for finding out things from government on what they've got in their records. Okay? Now, they have, if it's sensitive and other things, they have some prerogative to redact is this the word they use redact it so you might send a FOIA in for something you'll get back well sometimes they black out the whole damn page quite frankly okay are uh judy have you heard of a guy named tom fitton in an organization called judicial watch used to see him on like tucker carlson and all those night shows pretty often tom fitton uh, both of them yes okay well Tob fenton and judicial watch that's the only thing they use is FOIA. all of this stuff and the damage they've to... done hold on i'm gonna tell you all this damage they've done is from FOIA requests and information they've gotten back and like sometimes they'll FOIA in and you got to be very specific in what you ask for okay system of records referring to what this whatever and so they'll say well we don't have any records that are responsive to your request and then they come in and they FOIA another thing and because it's similar they get cross-pollinated with these records that say they didn't exist and they end up in another FOIA that's happened to them a couple of times okay so that's what it is and it's very effective and here's the effective part of it if you FOIA them and they've got a certain time limit to respond which normally especially these days they run over okay but if they don't respond to your question, you can take them to court as a plaintiff. 
and they've got to respond, and the judges will usually rule in your favor. So we've got some teeth to it, actually. So that's what a freedom of information request is. Every agency has a Freedom of Information Act officer, and that's who you submit your Freedom of Information Act request to. Uh, we just had Mike from Birmingham on here, and he sent in a FOIA. <coughs> And they wrote him back a letter and said, well, you, it's, your request wasn't specific enough, basically. And he, he, I think he did something. Excuse me for coughing. He did. He, like, sent in a request. Said, every, send everything in my administrative folder that's responsive to me or whatever, however he put it. He didn't do it right. He, what you should put is any documentation in my administrative folder relating to my citizenship status or my political status, stuff like that, okay? And so you write it to them, and they send it back to you. Well, you're going to go to the Department of State and find out who the Freedom of Information Act person is. Okay. Okay, thank you. And do a little bit of study on it now. You can't just fly by night with these people, you know, like Mike did. you got to be – they want some specificity if they're going to do all this. These people – I mean, they got all kinds of people asking them for all kinds of stuff constantly. So they're pretty busy, you right. know, and uh, bear with right. it. But that's a, uh, that's a tool for you to use if you just really want to know that that affidavit okay. you sent in made it into your administrative file. That's how the rubber meets the road right there is a FOIA request on anything related to your political status or any citizenship evidence contained in my administrative file. Okay. Thank All right. you. Well, you're welcome. Now, now it makes more sense. Uh, I've heard other people call in talking about the FOIA, and it, it, I didn't understand the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Can you um, also go over a few weeks back, you had talked about a certain point in the, this nation's history where originally you had to be a Christian to be in any political status, oh. holding the office, it- but then it got... That was back. Well, that's back when we had the Articles of Confederation before it was transitioned into the Constitution. Okay. Now, let's take a step further back than that, Judy. Okay. Have you heard me talk about a group of law books in the law library called the Statutes at Large? Yes. Okay. Well, there's three books. If you're new here, let's just give a little background because these are all teaching moments, right? There's three main groups of law books in the law library the first one is this statutes at large now those are the organic laws of the united states of america and any time legislation is passed through congress appropriately and signed by the president there that whatever legislation it is is put into that group of books called the statutes at large and anything that goes through that process is considered may not be but it's considered to be constitutional okay now if you go the other group of books is the united states code there's 50 titles and the other is the administrative states bible and rule book the code of federal regulations and there's 50 titles of that too and each one of the titles attaches to one of the titles in the code on subject matter okay but the one that stands alone are the statutes at large over there the organic laws of the country now if you go to the number one book in that group of books as i like to say they're the ones that have all the dust on them because nobody ever opens them up (laughs) and so if you go over there and knock the dust off and open up volume one you know what's in there 
Declaration of Independence, oh, Articles of Confederation, Northwest Territory Ordinances, and the Constitution. That's in Volume 1, when you open the front cover of the organic statutes at large in the United States of America. You, you don't think those things are all still law? Yes. Okay. See, they can't change all that. All they can do is veneer over it. And that's what they've done. That's what I... Okay. So that's why, mm-hmm. and that's why that that's important information. Okay. Now I probably got off on a tangent. I forgot where I was going with your original question, but that is Christianity. Okay. Well, before back in that series, the articles of confederation were before the constitution and what Daryl, one of our good students, he's probably listening today. He just doesn't join us as much as he used to, because there's a lot of new folks on here and he's probably busy too. Um, but he came up with an oath that you had to take in the state for any office in the state. Remember, the states were the countries back then. Okay, so any right. office. Was this was in the Articles of Confederation time period. Okay, he came, he found it on the internet and read it to us here one day. I he had to agree that you were Christians and you believe in Jesus Christ when you took your oath and and took the job. Well, they had to get rid of that. Okay, but that's where that came from. Okay. I just couldn't remember the details because I've heard you talk about this before, but again, being repetitive helps it cement. Well, you know, the only way we learn is drill, practice, rehearse, Judy. Yes. And you know what? And that's why, now listen, there's people on this board right here. Lisa's probably with us in the background lurking back there. Lisa has followed me from every radio network I've ever been on since I started. Now, that's that's quite a feat, okay? I can't even hardly follow me. It's micro me. effect, Roger. That's <laughs> okay, since the micro effect. I can't even follow me for all those damn XYs, you know? So anyway, and, uh, uh, and Lisa's heard this stuff over and over and over again, and there she is sitting right there in the background. You know why? It's because you can't hear it enough because of what you just said. Okay, and the other reason is I think is because you grow in this as you can you continue to grow. Okay, and every time you hear it, you've grown a little bit since the last time, and there's a very good possibility you're going to pull something new out of there that you didn't realize before because of your growth. Okay, so I think those two things are working in tandem. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. We're glad to have you, Judy. Roger. Yes. Daniel again. Daniel again. Um, I didn't know that was your last name. How you doing? Come on back. Actually, it's it's fish, but that's kind of stinky. Come on, come on. Company, Uh, company, and fish both start to smell after three days. Yes, yes, sir. So anyway, I wanted to interview Dana on just a couple things, um, and I wanted to state um, how important it is for Dana to be part of this. Yeah, Um, and and you said so, but I'm going to specifically try to speak on that one is you're giving us the first step putting the key in the car and driving the dang thing the problem is driving the dang thing if you never had a driving lessons lesson to um, what you are as a free man and how we can use the common law to protect ourselves that's all part of standing that's all part of standing in what we are and we're all babies in it we're all neophytes but dana um came to the same conclusion but 
but has been doing this law and having success. He had five major cases, which is that candy one is the last one they're wrapping. Uh, but I, I, I just want to segue to a different thing, and that is we all have um, a right to uh, have a hearing, a, 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 a court hearing, uh, and quickly. And none of that goes on anymore. And and without 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 a judge or without a lawyers, okay. So we can call our own jury in and say, okay, I want these guys. They're they're my peers, and I want an arbitrator. And but I, I I knew we were allowed to have that, but I've never heard of it happening until I just talked to Dana the other night. And he goes, "Oh, I'm already doing that." So Dana, can you speak to that? Dana. Dana, did you did we lose you in that? Re- He's here. I just don't know. He might be okay. doing something. Oh, well, it could be. Whatever. Well, let me let me address it while if he's fumbling for his mute button. All Dana's got to do is unmute. Okay. Uh, hover your mouse at the bottom okay. of the screen. Well, a little menu pops up. There's a microphone. You, you know, I think that. once you see what the reason I try and get all you folks is to get into this education is because that's what builds your self-confidence. And when you understand the information, now if you get confronted with any of this crap, you can defend your position. If you've done all the setup stuff correctly, which is giving them proper notice on the back end and weaponizing your new status position. You should never end up in any courts unless you've got a good reason to be there and you injured somebody. So that's my problem is not with the people that have gone through this properly and gotten to that point, put everybody on notice. My view for Dana is the people that get in here that haven't gotten that done and are already in trouble with some, some issue somewhere with some, government body so but you know if you've got this thing filed and if you uh have put your local da and those folks and your attorney general your state on notice you should be unscathed see they don't have any standing at that point to charge you with anything unless you've generally injured somebody and it's property damage well i'm speaking if someone injures you then you have a right to uh well you can still you can go into their court well, it's, he, Dean has never walked into their court for any of these victories. And I think, it, you know, um, you can, but you're better off not to. Well, you, you probably settle it out out of court, too, on the damages and situation. Well, but that doesn't bar you from going in and seeking that. That's true. But but um, when you know how to operate without even walking through their bar doors. <laughs> well, buddy, uh, but, well, I mean, you know, I guess there's maybe an application for that. I don't see it as much evidently as you do, but uh, I see Dana's got somebody that with his prowess has got a role to play here, you know, with some people. So uh, hopefully right. that's what I thought maybe would be the niche right he could fill because we don't have anybody like that. You know, right. before, if anybody had IRS problems, I'd steer them to Ralph. Well, I didn't have any kind of deal going with Ralph. I never even spoke to him. He, right. he, he poo-pooed my information, you know. I mean, really? Right. He said, well, I, I went to Title 26 with West Law and did a whole search, and National doesn't come up one time. Well, that's well, the way that. that's the way Ralph looked at this. See, he had to see it black and white and infuse the definition that he knew was the one that they were going to recognize too. Well, he doesn't know the enemy doesn't know how they play. You right. know, sorry, that's a, you know. I mean, I think Ralph 
fulfilled a great function he helped out some people he's a good guy he had all the intentions right he just couldn't think outside the box you know he wasn't sun suish enough he didn't understand you got to know the enemy not just yourself and if you this is why if you don't know who these bastards are and how they think it's, you're going to be one of these idiots that never beats them and boy, there's a lot absolutely. of people in our community like that, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why this is such an oasis in the desert. And again, it's not, it's, I, I'm counter on intuitive anyway. I guess maybe that's why I got tapped to do this. But if it wasn't for the teachings of John W. Benson, we wouldn't be here today. Period. Okay. So anybody else got any questions while Dana's looking for his mute? <laughs> love to hear Roger, from you can you hear me i hear you fine <laughs> okay now, dana maybe uh, it's possible you might have to exit out and then come back in. yeah i might have to come back in sometimes i had to do that a minute ago so anyway uh anybody else got any questions we'd love to have some other conversation here i've got a lot of folks on the board this morning any new folks want to say hello and introduce yourself are you too scared does cat have your tongue? Um, they'll make fun of me. No, we won't. No such luck. Well, there is one thing I wanted to wanted to say about Lisa. Is is she has been so reliable, and that in any other arena or theater, she would be referred to as a stalker, but not here. Cause not, we love no, her. no, not here. No, she's helped a lot. At least I was shocked when she told me she'd been following me that long. I'm the uh, hall monitor here. Yes, yeah, she is. Go. She does fulfill that function very well, too, actually. Now, Lisa, uh, you've never, you've been listening to me all these years and you've never filed paperwork, correct? Correct. I'm working on the hubby. And, okay. and we're getting close, though, Roger, because okay. well, he's I'm getting a- to listen a lot more now. Okay, good. Well, I'm not beating you up now. I, and I don't want anybody to get that impression because it doesn't matter to me whether she does or not. Okay? I mean, honestly, I'd love to see her and her, and her husband do it. But I'm not going to force them to do it. I'm not going to well, beat no, her up because she bit. hadn't done it. And You it, know a little bit about why. Yes, I do. And and, and this is the what I'm trying to do is use you as an example to make a point here to the newer people that this is everybody's individual decision. It's just like going up and, and, and your decision to uh, become a Christian, follow Jesus Christ. Okay? I, I may tell you about all this stuff and how it relates back to the Bible, and, and I can show you the connections and all that, but I'm never going to tell you to do that that's got to be your decision that's your relationship with your creator you know as brent calls him the lawgiver of ultimate appeal from whose decision there is no the ultimate lawgiver from whose decision there is no appeal well that's your god okay now you noodle on that one for a while So that's your relationship. So here's here's a little thing for me. When I accepted Jesus Christ, I didn't have to break out my tarot cards or hold a seance to notify Satan. Well, that's right, but that's a little different. You got a little closer (laughs) connection than with these slave ambassadors. I know. (laughs) Damn bastards. I mean, these are Satan's children. There's just no doubt about it. (laughs) Unbelievable. I was listening to Owen Stroyer. 
I, I like old Owen a lot. He's very clever and very talented. And he's talking about and railing on this Texas shooting and the fact that they won't put any armed guards or make anybody with arms of retired Marines or whoever and put them in all these schools. But yet Biden goes around with 50 Secret Service agents around him. <laughs> and, and the other thing I was thinking, well, whenever they have a synagogue shooting, don't they always post armed guards at the synagogue? Why don't they do it at the schools? i'll tell you something i saw a video once i thought was hilarious um the first half of the video is about 15 20 minutes long first half of the video was Gaddafi. he was standing up in this little white toyota uh, two-thirds of his body was hanging out the uh the sunroof he was waving at the people the people were all they loved him back they loved him. him they loved him and then the second half of the video was Obama's motorcade. There were three or four dummy limos. There was flashing, uh, flashy blinky lights for a couple of hundred cars in this motorcade. Right. And, and that was, okay, here's the leader of the free world, air quotes there, um, and he's got to have a small country as an entourage. <laughs> and Gaddafi, this bad guy that they'd been demonizing for ever he's out walking among the people he was a hell of a good guy too man he was really working for his people there and if anybody's bought all that propaganda crap you need to go back and do a little research because you've been fed a load okay i yeah, mean he literally was he was mm-hmm. you desalinating or you giving fresh water libya most fresh water in the in the whole continent he was taking and sending the people to foreign universities and stuff and giving them huge allowance and it was all fueled by of course their oil industry and see libya has got a very unique unique little niche in that they've got the sweetest crude in the world Mm-hmm. the less it needs the less refinement and that's their real advantage and what else do you think after they murdered him thanks to the israeli Mossad pinpointing him uh with a uh, with a tracking device um what do you think's first thing they did paul you know the first thing they did uh, they took over the oil. they took over the central bank the institute of rothschild central bank so uh you know, anyway, poor old Qaddafi, hey, good guy. Yeah. Hey, Bob. Yes, sir. Hey, I'd like you, or I will, uh, bring full circle what you're saying there as far as your ultimate authority being your God, if you've got no appeal from their dictate. And, of course, the fact is most people don't have any uh, remedy to the state. Correct. Because that is their God. In that context, in that legal context, and I would say spiritual, you tie them together. If you've got no recourse from the federal government, from the states, from the agencies of the government, if you have to exhaust your administrative repeal appeal, and you're still getting no satisfaction, guess what? Yep, that's your god. Government's your god. That's, that's a very the, good point, Bob. Absolutely. And that's the whole point right there. That distills it down to the nut. It sure does. When you when you have that impediment to you dealing with Jehovah God or Yahweh God or however you want to say it, that is a serious impediment 
to being able to say you are following Christ because how can you follow him if you've got no way to get away from the state? And how about the fact that that is what civil rights are, are your rights given to you from your God, the federal government, and you've got to work within their system, and there's very few people that walk away unscathed and victorious, I'm going to tell you. I have gotten to the point that when I hear constitutional rights, it just makes me want to it, Doesn't it? I mean, seeing it how just sin- sets me on edge. I know. It just makes me angry it, because it, so many people it, don't understand the difference. And the other day we were talking about the NRA and their, uh, let's say, their compromise. Let's just say that because the only thing they're fixated on in general I'll say this is the generality. I'll, I'll say there's probably exceptions, and there's probably members of the NRA that understand it. But overall, they are so hung up on the Second Amendment that, the, I mean, yeah, they pay lip service to the idea that it's a, a, a constitutionally protected right, but basically they're not worried about that. They're fighting the idea that they've got to keep it in place. No, it's not about you. It's an impediment to the government. It's not a right you have. Correct. Your rights predate it, and the Second Amendment is just paying lip service to the fact that the government can't screw with you. But they don't believe that, and of course they shouldn't, because the fact is they're bought and paid for their federal citizens. Uh, they, they look at it in that tiered, in that tiered manner, you know. You know, Bob, and I so, continue. Anyway. I mentioned it the other day in that discussion. We, we don't ever hear gun people on this board, do we? You ever? Hey, I'm so, from the from the such and such a town with our gun group and we've heard about this and we want to find out how to avoid regulations have we ever heard that on here never not one time i remember on the well, deanna spingola show the notable exception would be daryl of course right well that's you know that's a single individual well yeah and that's his single efforts there but the one guy called yeah. in that i remember <coughs> was in that third last half hour of that deanna spingola interview it was a guy from Kentucky, I think, that was affiliated with several gun groups, and I tried to explain this to him, and well, I've never heard from him again, so I must not have done a very good job. But isn't that interesting of the the lack of gun people on this when that ought to be one of the prime groups of people that would be primarily interested in this? Well, I don't think they figure they need it because they've got their second amendment they're good to go they don't they don't have a full grasp of the desperate straits they're in they don't have a clue that they don't have access to constitutional protection right they've got an they access to federal surf and they don't know it that's right and they've got to adhere to all those uh, batf regulations in title 27 cfr well of course they do of course they do okay. i mean infringed means uh, you know infringed but we'll we'll whatever we don't worry about that you know Anyways, really don't mean things. <laughs> it's really, in a, you know, the, the other area is the pastors. Pastors and, and the gun people. That's two areas that you'd think would be all over this message. And some are, but no, especially Roger, the pastors. Don't you understand Romans 13? Oh, God. We're subject to the government. Don't you get it? <laughs> if you don't get sarcasm, that was sarcasm, people. Yes, it was. So you know. Yes, it was. Okay, I'm going to mute up. Uh, okay, thanks, Bob. I should plug Ted Weiland's book on Romans 13, if any of you have a question on that. Ted Weiland is a... 
Well, he's a fine Christian guy. He's a great author. He's written a lot of constitutional books. I don't know that I'll, I agree with him on some of his conclusions. I've met Ted. I've had a meal with him several times. And uh, his book, God's Covenant People, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, is one of the most powerful books I've read in my all the years in this. If you want to know how to access that, uh, his website is Mission to israel.org mission to israel.org he's an identity guy and i believe his first book was this opus book uh god's covenant people yesterday today and forever it compares the jewish side with the gentile side throughout most of the book first five chapters it kind of different but very very powerful book very powerful index in the back where you can cross index any of these terms and go see where people have said about them and used them all throughout history because all this is is different quotes he takes a topic and then he gives all the quotes on the jewish side and then he gives all the quotes on the gentile side and lets you compare very very powerful book uh ted wyland and he's one of the other books is much shorter is uh, a book on uh, romans 13 that bob just alluded to that gives you a proper perspective on looking at that if you want to read that and find out for yourself maybe straighten out some of your friends that's a resource somebody was wanting to say something i heard somebody mute open hello well this is this is mark spark i'll speak up to something hey mark good, good morning uh, or good afternoon now. Uh, no, no, no. Still this, morning. Uh, is, yeah, okay. Uh, the uh, Concerning what's happening to we the people around the world, uh, I call it mesmerization. And there was a, a person named Mesmer. Uh, you look him up. Uh, this is uh, has to do with, uh, it has to do with magic, magic tricks, and it also has to do with hypnosis. This is Freemason magic we're dealing with all over. Right. So on, so on, and, and, and this, uh, it, and through the media, okay, so we, uh, do we have any true jur- journalists anymore who, who really, because journalism is about seeking the truth. Tucker Carlson. Okay. okay. And his writers, well, I'd say. Yeah, to a point. Uh, but he does leave some things out. I, I don't like it how he keeps calling us a democracy. Yeah, he I does use that like word that. wrong. No, I agree with you. It's, it's irritating. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, you know, uh, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? That's that's the truth. So doing your best to seek the truth. But then we have, then you go a little bit, uh, a few feet away from that, and then you have what I call the ones that, 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 you know, that be the ones that, you know, uh, going after the truth, but when, when in fact they are infotainers. Okay. And, um, I, this has been with me for a while. And by the way, a, a, a couple of days ago, uh, Daniel D fish, he put the, he put the hammer on the end of it and it, it was brilliant. Uh, but, uh, anyway, so, so we have infotainment, where they might tell you 90% of the truth, but that 10% that they leave out or that they lie about, okay, that gets, that gets people, oh, wow, you know, it, it's, a form of, it's a form of entertainment, but it's infotainment, okay? And then it becomes entrainment. It entrains the mind, and it gets you, wow, yeah, you know, like the NRA. Here's an example. The NRA, National Rifle Association, you'd think, well, by what they say they stand for, they're, they're in it 100%. I'm going to tell you, they are a compromising organization. Oh, I yeah, felt that about them for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, uh, 
so you have so you have the truth see those seeking the truth and that's what i sense about you roger you're seeking the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth as best you can as best you can decipher it okay and then you got infotainers like alex jones he's an infotainer okay and uh then you've got then then you get people entra- entrained in that like following following these individuals okay and then so so then what come what happens after entrainment entrapment entrapment see it's that 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 ten percent that they leave out or that they lie about that people get caught up in and and don't get real critically keen keen and critical about it and then they become entrapped so. This would relate to some of these other groups that are that are that get you all wired in, and it's all a bunch of quagmire. It's complicated, and then you get oh yeah, and you now they've got you invested to a point where well you don't want to back out because look how much time you've invested in that inner in that infotainment. You didn't know it was infotainment; you thought it was the truth, but but it's but at some point one of those either those omissions or those outright lies can get you or I in trouble or anybody in trouble, see? And they, you know, and then uh, are they going to be there to be of support to you if that were to happen, see? So that's the, uh, I, I, I don't want to go to court. I don't want to be in the court. It's nope. their domain. They own it, lock, stock, and barrel, upside down and sideways. Did and you see, you saw, the, to, you saw yeah. the decision that came out of D.C. yesterday, right? Oh, yeah, with Sussman? That, yep. was, that was no surprise. Yep. That was no surprise. Yep. Yeah. The judge's daughter is on the same sports team as Sussman's daughter. Wow. Well, well here's, here's one for you. Sussman's, you wife, think- the, uh, uh, Sussman's wife is an attorney who represented Lisa Page. Uh, on and on and on. Okay. Okay. Well, here, the here, judge's here name was Cooper, a Jewish name, obviously appointed by Obama, and you know their synagogue buddies. Just to add, now I was going to uh, also embellish what you were talking about, Mark. There's a, a, a really nice natural way to look at that, and that's rat poison. You know about rat poison? Yeah, yeah, where it gets, where it, uh, it you know, it, it attracts the rat. It's ninety five percent food and five percent poison. There you go. Exactly. Well, by the by the way, by the way, Roger. On that note, with Tucker, okay. Here's the thing about Tucker. Tucker actually got his son into a school. I think Georgetown. Could be with 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 Hunter Biden's help. Well, may have been they were neighbors. They were. They lived yeah. in the same neighborhood and were neighbors. And I heard right. him talk about it on the air one night. You know, when that whole laptop right. so, thing came up, and he had, he said, "Look, we were neighbors. I knew the guy back when he was married, and he wasn't like this. Okay, but we were neighbors, and we had a relationship. So he he came clean on that. You know, so, that, so you know, the thing you know is, that he's from a, a really wealthy family. I didn't know yes, this until that. recently. His family's quite yeah. wealthy, and here the ADL is starting to wail on him. You know, they they got busted on something else just recently, too. Uh, ADL's starting to wail on him, and a part of the other Jewish faction uh, in the community came up and said, back off, man. This guy's got his own money. He can go start his own damn show and be the most popular talk show host in the world, and you won't be able to do nothing about him. Back off. Yeah. Well, huh? I got. I got. I, I, yeah. I. Yeah. I. Well, I got to. You know. So at some level, see my my thing about uh, 
you know, Fox News, it's it's a ninety percenter. It's not going to go the whole way. No, no, I'm not uh, care. I don't care about them. Look, uh, Sean is over yeah. there endorsing the Ukraine stuff. I know Sean Hannity personally. You know, we don't talk. Uh, you knew him years ago in Atlanta. He's a good guy back then. He's gotten sucked into the evil side, supporting that damn facade. Bunch of crap shows you that they've got him hook, line, and sinker. I don't care about any of the other ones on there. Okay, but I like Tucker because I like his style, and he comes across incredibly sincere. And and I got to feel that he is. He's a really nice person. You know, there was a. I'll give you an example that he wasn't on camera. All right, Howard Stern. You know, Howard Stern's got a guy. Evidently, I don't listen to him. That goes around and with a video with a cell phone and takes video of people in new york and they play it on the air okay well one he, he, he's in in central park at one of the lakes in central you know got a few little ponds in there because you wouldn't call them a lake and he goes up to somebody that's fly fishing and it's tucker carlson and tucker carlson doesn't know that this guy's with howard stern and he starts getting just oh yeah i'm just fly fishing here and he's a big fly fisherman you know as his passion, right? And uh, so he's showing the guy and Jones explaining to him, oh, yeah, I tie my own flies. And he pulls out his fly little case and showing him and all this stuff. Well, that's him just walking up. And he didn't say, I'm Tucker Carlson or anything. And it just it came across when I saw that video. You can see how natural and sincere the guy is. I just like him personally. I think he's very talented as a broadcaster. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's got talent. I, I I my sense of it is I think he knows how far he can go to in in telling the the truth. Well, he does right now on that. Fox because so they won't wouldn't let him talk about something here recently. He wasn't allowed to talk about it. We forgot which one it is. One of these revelations. There's damn many of them coming around. But something he wasn't allowed to talk about recently. But yet he's got yeah, that is. platform, and it's got such a huge reach, and it's one of the only ones that's even considered to be in the conservative column. So I can understand why he doesn't want to walk away. He very well may one of these days, and that may be this TuckerCarlson.com channel that he's got started up where he does do those long interviews. That may be the what he's going to transition over. By the way, today, because I watched – they're starting to put Tucker on uh, pit shoot again, and I got to watch the show last night. And the one that he put on his other channel, TuckerCarlson.com, today was an interview with none other than Brent Favre. Very interesting, the excerpt he played last night. So very diverse and may be what he's planning on utilizing that later to step into, Mark. And I, I agree. I agree. I agree with that. I think it's where he's going to go. But yeah. I, I got to say one more thing, and that's uh-huh. that's with the Hannity. When you see, I you know I could tell he had a little bit of a Southern accent. But when you told me he's from Georgia, I'm like, no, 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 he's not from I, Georgia. I, I, no, well, he's okay. from New York and oh. Long Island. I met him. Oh, in he Atlanta. actually is. Oh, he's from Long Island. I thought he was. Oh well, okay. Well, that that'll give him a little bit of an out. If he, he's he's a damn Yankee, he's not a he's not a Southern boy. But when you say, because I because I, I thought, well, maybe he's from Georgia when you said Atlanta. He but married, no, he's not from. So he's he married okay. a gal from Huntsville. His wife is from Huntsville. Supposed to be very lovely. I don't know. I never met her. But I did have a pretty in-depth relationship with Sean. We talk on the phone all the time. He, uh, you know, let's go to lunch. He'd go to lunch on his uh, some of his trade-out accounts. He took us to lunch several times. He and another friend of mine. And uh, 
we I took books down there and showed him he knew all this stuff his sister and her bunch in california he'd gone to school in california and that's where he got into radio as a college radio jock okay but his sister and her friends had told him all this stuff i mean i brought uh, uh, bill benson law that never was books and all that stuff showed him all the proof you know he's been exposed to this He used to be a good guy. I'm not so sure about him anymore, but uh, I did uh, cross paths with him and get a chance to know him before he was before he was something, really, although he was already on a meteoric rise there. He took – here's what happened, Mark. You ever, you ever heard of Neil Bortz? No, never heard of – no. He's a nationally syndicated talk show host. He's probably retired now. He was out of Atlanta, a lawyer, uh, started – calling into the little radio station that was doing talk radio when i first moved to atlanta it was called ring radio and they finally said well you're calling in so much why don't you come over and just host the show and so he's lawyering on the side and and doing this talk show and then he got over on this other station gst it was that for long, long years and that's where sean showed up when he went to move to wsb which is the cox broadcasting flagship station there in atlanta wsb am fm tv and they also own the journal constitution okay and so they're in big markets like that with top talent when they do their contracts there's a no compete clause in them which means if you go to another facility in the same market you can't work for six months or whatever the time frame is no compete and so because he was moving in the same market, he couldn't be on the air for six months. And that's when they hired Sean out of Huntsville, his first real radio job, to come over and fill in with Bortz. So he had six months of the market as the only real conservative guy there. Okay. And so this is a funny story. I should tell you, you'll, you'll, you might appreciate this, <laughs> how we met. Okay. And so he got on there, start talking about stuff, and we were active, involved with the radio community. And so I called and left him a message about something he'd said on the air. And so I was teaching at the time at the Art Institute, and I was teaching broadcasting. And one of the things that I taught was a module on rating service diaries, you know, Arbitron and Nielsen and how the whole system works is the stations pay these companies to come in and take a survey of the market to see what demographics and our listeners time of day what stations what is it male or female and what age brackets and all this really really intricate breakdown of their listener audience listening audience so that they can take the salespeople out and sell that to accounts so it really in essence makes the whole industry work are these rating service diaries okay and there's a specific way that they do it now i used to teach that all right and so i'm sitting there at home one day and the phone rings and they go hey this is arbitron calling would you like to do participate in a radio survey which is how they set everybody up and i knew what the deal was i said sure and they go well how many people in your household and i know that you can get six diaries per household and so i said six so i got six diaries and so you're supposed to keep up with it every day but of course all i was going to do was write in wwcr and try and screw up their 
their sample, okay? That's the shortwave radio out of Nashville that carried all the Patriot stuff, okay? But so I didn't fill them out, and there's a certain deadline. You got to return them back in and stuff. So it was a Sunday afternoon, and I'm sitting there at my desk at home in my home office, and I'm filling out these diaries, all right? Well, that's when Sean returns the phone call on the message I left him. <laughs> you know, you just can't make this stuff up, right? And so the phone rings here on Sunday afternoon. I'm doing that. I pick up. He goes, hey, Roger, this is Sean Hannity. I went, hey, Sean, you'll never believe what I'm doing. What are you doing? I'm filling out ARB diaries. <laughs> And he goes, oh, oh, write me in, write me in, because he hadn't been in the job very long, you know. And so what was funny about it was <laughs> you just can't make that up. At that time, he calls back and returns the call. Well, the next day, he goes in to the office, to WGST, and he's going down the hall. I got a listener of six diaries. And so if that ever got out, it could screw the whole survey, and they'd yank GST out of it. And they couldn't participate in it and use it to sell. So he said, I'm walking down the hall, and I walked past the general manager's office, and he said, Roger, it was like vaudeville, you know, where they stick the cane out and get the hook around your neck and pull you off stage. He said that general manager yanked him into the office. Shut up. Don't you dare say a word about any of that. So anyway, it's just funny how we met. So, and, and here I am. I'm teaching broadcasting. I've been in it. I was a jock. I worked for all these radio record companies. I knew the industry backwards and forwards. And he's brand new, and our paths crossed. So you know, for a while, Sean couldn't get enough of me. Okay? So that's kind of how we got to be friends. Okay, well, thank you for the thank you for the insight. Well, it's an interesting that, story because I'm sitting there filling out diaries, and he returns that call. I mean, that's just too coincidental. Okay, so he married a girl from Huntsville, then he moved to Atlanta to get in the radio thing. He got it. Well, he had this GST slot, a pretty big guy, Neil Bortz. You hadn't heard of him, but a bunch of people listening here know who he is. Okay, and so he had a pretty big reach. Cox syndicated him all over the country and so sean stepped into that so he had a pretty big uh, uh following immediately atlanta's a top 10 market you know and uh it was just very interesting and we he's really a nice guy he was back then and it was during that time period here's the reason for Sh sean's success is twofold he has a lot of talent okay obviously and his agent was rush limbaugh's brother and so what they would do is pioneer him and do tests, appearances with him. And it was when him and I knew each other because he'd go, well, i got to fly to New York. They're going to have me on some cable show late Saturday night. And they'd stick him on some obscure cable show and see how he tested out with the audience. And they did that a number of times and then offered him the job up there with WABC Radio. And uh, and he had that show, if you'll remember, Hannity and Combs with the conservative liberal guy. Anyway, that was how he got started. And uh, I'm just sorry to see him get so wrapped up in all this. He ought to know a whole lot better than to be promoting a war with friggin' Ukraine for these goons. For whatever all that's worth. Pardon you. 
By the way, Roger, last night, what was interesting is because I, I, I watch Fox now, but only a couple shows. I watch Tucker and I, I skip Hannity because yeah, I have to, I have I to like hide it. the hammers. I just, I just don't like what, no, he, what he says. I, I, but can't, anyway. I can't stand to see even the clips from it, to tell you the truth, but go ahead. So then, there, then there's the gal named Ingram, right? The Ingram. Oh, Ingram, and Ingram she's, yeah. Yeah, she seems to be okay. But last night, so where they, what were they bringing out and hammering? Bringing out and hammering that uh, kids uh, on marijuana are, are, can, can cause them to go violent. I'm like, oh, get out of town. Now, now, they're, now they're legalizing marijuana across the board in many states. And uh, now, now they're going to come back and, and say this. And, and uh, you know, who, who they're referencing for that information is like, come on. I mean, like, see, this is the same. This, hey, they, 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 yeah, Sorry to interrupt, but, you know. I've been I've been telling people for a long time when the when the feds legalize weed, you know they're getting ready to take the the whole system down. They're gonna let us get high while we watch Rome burn. Hey, listen, let me tell you what. Evidently, the marijuana that is going around up there, whether it's soaked in something or all this high potency stuff, it ain't like it used to be back when I'd stick a flower in your gun barrel. If you get my well, drift, yeah, yeah, but, now, it's, now it's genetic, genetically modified too. From what I understand, well, that's there's why no the, telling. That's why they, they may be soaking it with yeah. fentanyl residue or something. Mark, hell, there ain't no telling. Actually, if you have medical cards and you go through, you get growers list. You get the if it's grown hydroponically, the solutions that they're grown in, okay, and a lot well, of them cool. are organic. Yeah. And so you're really kind of safer there than okay. just buying it off the streets. Okay. But it is potent. But if you're not a teenager and you're a grown adult and you have this more potent stuff, you hit it once or twice instead of smoking a whole thing. Yeah, right. And um, I was going to say something else. I forget now. Oh, they came out with that Marinol years ago. You know, the pharmaceutical companies, that was 100% THC. So I don't know how dangerous THC well, really is. I well, don't it can't so. be too dangerous or God wouldn't have put cannabinol receptors in your physiology. Amen. Absolutely. Okay. Sorry. I mean, the stuff cures cancer, for God's sakes. Please. But we also have opioid receptors too, Roger. So well, they should have because it's got a legitimate pain. Uh, Absolutely, function, you know. Absolutely. So uh, it's just Anything excess. It's see, it's excess. You're exactly correct. You know, yep. and it's the dialectic nature of all of this stuff that underpins all of it. So okay, there's your uh, there's your opioid. It can reduce pain that's unbearable for you, or you can take too much and it kills you. You know, it's just the it's the nature of hey, Roger, everything. It's why that a, pro concept is so damned important. Wayne, is that you? No, it's Chuck. Oh, hey, Chuck. Hey, I have a question. You you said um, Tucker's son went to what school? I didn't say it. Mark did. He it's one of the big schools. He said Hunter Biden helped think, him get into one of the big schools in D.C. Don't know which I think, one. I think Georgetown. I think it's Georgetown. Georgetown. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's a Jesuit school. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, and and for um, uh, not Tucker. What, who's the other guy you were talking about? Sean, that you're friends with Sean. Sean, Sean has been reported to be uh, uh, Jesuit trained, just like well, Bill he's Catholic. Oh, he's about as Catholic as you can get. Irish Catholic. There's no question about that. But but doesn't he? 
Sean represents himself as a Christian now, don't he? That, uh, like an evangelical or something? Well, he presents himself as a Christian, but I believe he does. He, he, he'll admit he's Catholic. Because my dad watches him from time to time, and he said that he has uh, supposedly changed. To an evangelical or something. I I don't know anything about that. I haven't watched it. May him be due, it may it may be due to his wife. Could be. Don't know. But you know. Anyway, um, I just find that interesting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it is. It is good to hear from you, Chuck. Glad you're out there. Um, Roger. Yes, sir. Um, did you know the largest the, the largest crop when we became a country? You oh, know what it was? Was America, was probably hemp. Yeah, it was, and and it was because um, England couldn't get enough of it because they used it for everything, including sails for their ships. Sure, every damn thing on earth, and they couldn't get enough. So they, that was our number one crop until tobacco came in, and tobacco was uh, addictive. So it eventually took over. I think Henry Ford's first automobile, the body was made out of hemp, and the engine ran on hemp seed oil. Yeah, That's hemp right. ethanol. I believe that's correct. Yeah, is that any correct? My friend Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, for a minute, required taxes to be paid in hemp. Is that right? Didn't know that. But then he revoked it because he said that's not very Um, freedom. My deceased, my deceased dentist friend Dennis Malloy from Chicago, who's such a dear friend of mine. um, His daughter is the one that's spearheading that whole movement all over the whole country. She's an attorney out in Oregon. And she writes all those bills and then goes to the state and lobbies them to get – there's 20-something states have passed the hemp bill, probably more than that now. Dennis passed away about a year year or so ago, and I lost my connection to her and her activities. But she's the one that's done all that. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, we're about just out of time. I think Jim Ram's probably right there. Jimbo, you, you sitting there ready to take over, I'm assuming. Well, that may be a first. Um, okay just sat down on the chair okay there you go well you were coming in right there at the last and there's the whistler so good timing my man all right so uh means we're finished for the day well dana alessa welcome dana and uh we didn't get to get his mute back on but uh glad he's with us and found us and i'm sure we'll be talking more and uh everybody else good conversation today good show and i hope you got something out of it uh and we'll be back tomorrow to do the same thing basically and uh, maybe a little different cast of characters we'll see but jim ram's getting ready to take over right now for his second day of work this week and here on june the first somebody's got are you oh, is somebody opening a package or something crinkly paper that was me that was me <laughs> okay crinkly paper there all right well uh jimbo i'm going to give it to you in just a second and let you run off and do what you're going to do you got anything planned today specifically i've got a really really good recording of a lady who was vaccine damaged years ago who's working for um, children's health defense out in california and she's going to go over all the uh, lawsuits they're having activity on and that kind of stuff it's really uh, <laughs> I was kind of drawn. It's an hour long, and I was trying to decide whether I should do it. But this thing is so interesting; I think it's worth playing the whole hour. Okay, so part well, with that, and we'll kind of jump in from there. All right, that sounds like a mighty interesting hour of listening, and certainly a topical and uh, uh, timely topic. So, uh, good deal, Jimbo. Part really 
and she works with the, one of the legal outfits out there in California. Well, we just got knocked off the server, so we're done. I'll get out of here and turn it over to Jimbo.